Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor John Gable delivers the message entitled, People Jesus Met Along the Way, Moses and Elijah. We'll also have music from the Sanctuary Choir. So join us now from Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 
Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Today in the church calendar, it is Transfiguration Sunday, this Sunday right before the beginning of the season of Lent. And so our gospel lesson this morning from Mark chapter 9 is the telling of the transfiguration. Again, let's listen to God's word to us. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwelling places, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Amen. As you leave worship today, I'll encourage you to look up at the bell tower, and you will see four columns there, three of equal height, one is taller. Now many through the years have thought that we simply ran out of money at that point. Not so. It's an architectural way the designer of this beautiful church uh, configured, envisioned the transfiguration, the three lower, Peter, James, and John, the one higher, directing our attention, Jesus himself. Little inside trivia about Tab this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of the day, for the privilege of worship. Now, as we sit beneath the teaching of your word, we would pray that the words of my mouth, that the meditations, the thoughts that we will take away from this place this day might bring honor and glory to you. For it is Christ and for his sake we pray it. Amen. Have you ever had an experience that was so real to you that it was undeniable and yet at the same time it seemed to defy all description? One of those experiences that you hesitate to even try and tell anyone else about because you can hardly find the words to describe it and even if you did try, you're not really sure they'd actually believe you. 
A number of years ago, in one of our adult education classes, we read a book, and I, I think it was titled Faith Stories. Not necessarily true stories, but stories of God's encounter with various people. And one story in particular stood out to me of a Presbyterian minister who one afternoon was standing in his backyard when he heard the voice of God speaking to him. Clearly, distinctly, audibly, undeniably. The story told very well was that this pastor didn't know quite what to do with that experience. He thought if he told others what had happened to him, they would likely think that he had had a psychotic episode. And yet as a person of faith, he knew undeniably that God had spoken and he wanted to tell others about it. He faced a curious dilemma, attempting to describe the indescribable or explain the inexplicable has always been a challenge. Many today would say that what we do in here, the Christian faith, a sense of the living presence of Jesus Christ is nothing more than illusion. It's just wishful thinking on our part. And so my guess is each of us, in one way or another, has been challenged at times to try to explain to another our reasons for believing or even what it is that we believe particularly to those who don't share our worldview, and perhaps think that we're a bit crazy for holding to that which we do believe. Our most closely held beliefs have always been hard to explain, hard to define, hard to describe, because quite plainly, they are quite unbelievable. That must have been the frustration the disciples had as they tried to explain what happened to them on the mountain with Jesus that day, what they encountered there was so real, it was undeniable, and yet so unbelievable, it defied all description. Mark tells us it was six days later, and of course we ask six days after what? It was six days after Peter's famous confession up in Caesarea Philippi, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And despite the rumors that were going around about Jesus, that he was just another prophet, the disciples now knew who he was, that he was the promised Messiah of God. This becomes an important turning point in the gospel story. So now it's six days later, Peter, James, and John are standing with Jesus on the top of the mountain when suddenly he is transfigured before them. What does that mean? Well, my guess is the gospel writers had some trouble trying to figure out what word to use to describe what they witnessed there. Transfigured comes from the Greek word that we would translate metamorphosis, like a, a caterpillar into a butterfly. Jesus was metamorphosized, or we might say Jesus was morphed in front of these disciples. And as they watched, Jesus underwent a complete change of appearance. And his true, his, his glorious, his divine nature was revealed to them. 
But this wasn't merely a surface kind of change. This was a change that was taking place from the inside out. He stood there like one of these brilliant stained glass windows where the sun is beaming through and showing the glory of God. His face was shining. His clothes were dazzling white. Jesus was brilliantly transfigured. So in, in Caesarea Philippi, the disciples confessed what they now believed about Jesus. And here on the Mount of Transfiguration, their confession was confirmed as the true nature of Jesus was revealed. Son of God in human flesh. Now, as if that weren't enough, suddenly they saw Moses, the great lawgiver, and Elijah, the great prophet, the one who was to reappear before the coming of Messiah, standing there talking with him. We've been doing a series in these recent weeks. People Jesus met along the way, well, we hardly expected him to meet Moses and Elijah. But there they were, and as if that wasn't enough, suddenly a cloud rolled in, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. And when they looked up, the cloud was gone, as were Moses and Elijah, and there stood Jesus, alone. Now, how would you like to try and explain that to your next-door neighbor? We can only imagine the challenge it would be for Peter and James and John to try to describe to the others what they had seen and heard on the mountain and to convince them that it was real. It was so beyond words that the gospel writer Mark uses only seven verses to tell it. And I find that interesting because if he had been able to explain it in more detail, I think he would have, but he didn't know how to explain it, so he told it as simply as he could, and Jesus was transfigured before them. It's hard to describe the indescribable. It's hard to explain the inexplicable. So it's fortunate that these three had each other to corroborate, or else I think they themselves would have questioned what had really happened. Perhaps not to this magnitude, but at one time or another, I think we've all known the frustration of being unable to find the right words to tell or to explain to someone else how meaningful a personal experience has been to us. Words alone can't begin to carry the weight of the message or touch the impact of the experience. And to make matters worse, our words tend to sound suspicious to others because it is human nature to be skeptical of someone else's experience if we haven't had that experience for ourselves. And that is particularly true when people speak of their religious experiences. So what of us? How do we respond to this kind of story? We who are people of faith, are we any less skeptical? We of all people know that there are realities that go beyond our senses. John Bailey writes, faith is not believing in something without evidence. It means believing in, the, in realities that go beyond the senses for which a totally different sort of evidence is required. 
We, of all people, should be most open to the idea of God breaking into our world or breaking into our lives in some extraordinary, extraordinary or unexpected way because this is exactly what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther once wrote, all great religion begins with the personal pronoun, I. By this he means that if faith is to be genuine at some point, it must become personal. That there's a point when the Christian story becomes my story. When our experience shared becomes my experience with you as well. The Christian faith is more than mere intellectual assent to certain tenets that we're asked to believe that we can then keep at arm's length. Genuine faith is an experience of a personal relationship with the living God and we enter into that relationship not by intellectual argument alone but by trusting in the reality that there is a God who will encounter us individually and together, a reality that goes beyond our senses of sight and sound, a reality that is more than illusion. And that's the part of the Christian experience, the, re, the, the re experience of faith that is so difficult for us to put words around. David H.C. Reed writes, God cannot be proved by anything less than himself. I believe that to be true. And for that reason alone, God came to us in a way that we can know and touch, hear, understand. He took on human flesh. And for that reason alone, we believe that God continues to be in the business of revealing himself to us in ways that are often unexplainable and yet at the same time are undeniable even as it was for the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration years ago. So why does God do this for us continually? For some, I believe it's in order to awaken faith, to call our attention to the reality of his presence. God is able to speak in and through even the most routine events of our lives, to kind of catch us off guard in those moments, as if to say, hey, wake up, open your eyes, I'm real. For others of us, I think God reveals himself in those unexpected ways in order to encourage us, to confirm in us, to press on in our faith, to continue to have confidence and hope in his promises, particularly when things get tough for us. The how and the why of God's revealing is always a mystery, and so it should be. But one thing is certain. God comes close to us in these ways in order that we can come close to God. God never intends these kinds of experiences to be ends in and of themselves so that we can point to them and say, hey, look what happened to me. We're not the star of any of these stories. Rather, these kinds of encounters are always intended to the greater purpose, the greater end of drawing us into a closer relationship with him. Look again at what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus appears with Moses, the great lawgiver, and with Elijah, the great prophet, 
who was to appear before coming of Messiah. Why these two? Because this is the great tradition, law and prophets, that through the centuries has been leading us to the coming of the promised Messiah. So there they are, as if they are handing off this tradition, the new promise to the one who has fulfilled that promise, Jesus Christ. Peter, in his ecstasy, says, Lord, it is really good that we are here. He, he loved the experience, and who wouldn't? And so he wanted to build three little booths so that they could stay there, so that they could go there whenever they wanted to. And who can blame him for that? But that isn't how it was intended to be. That experience, like all religious experiences, are intended for a greater purpose, a means to that that of identifying Jesus. And so the voice from the cloud, the voice of God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Do you hear the shift in emphasis in this story? It's away from the experience now onto Christ himself. Recall at the end of this experience, Jesus is standing alone. The cloud is gone, Moses and Elijah are gone, Jesus is alone the center of this story. He's the focal point. Everything is pointing to him. That's God's intention whenever he reveals himself to us as well. Through the years, I've had many conversations with folks, ordinary folks like you and me, who have told me of extraordinary experiences of faith that they've had. More than once, I've had someone say, I've never told anyone about this before because I never thought anyone would believe me. But I wanted to tell you, and I hope you don't think I'm crazy, but they'll go on to tell me of visitation of angels, of life after death experiences, of encounters with Jesus with their own eyes, of other experiences that sound very much like what the disciples experienced on that mountain. And I'll admit to you as I admit to them that there is much about these experiences that I simply do not understand. They're beyond my experience. They're beyond my understanding. But I also tell them, I believe what you say because I know that you believe it and it is real. And God continues to speak in ways that are beyond our experience or expectation. That I believe that God continues to reveal himself and work in people's lives. And so I encourage them, as I would encourage each of us, to see our experiences of faith as extraordinary and as unbelievable as they may be as God's means of getting our attention and drawing us closer to him. My guess is that any one of us might have a story of our own to tell of God speaking, revealing, encountering us in some unexpected or extraordinary way. And we'd love to be able to capture that moment, just to stay there so that we could go back there when we want. Perhaps it isn't a vision, perhaps it's not a visitation, but it's in a way that we cannot deny. And I believe that those moments are simply moments of grace given to us not in order to prove anything to anyone, but given to us to remind us, to assure us of God's presence with us. Like faith itself, those kinds of experiences are intensely personal, 
but they're not intended to be private, I don't think. They're intended to be shared because those stories that we hear another tell ring true with our experience of faith. They support and encourage us in faith because what the world continues to call illusion, we know is just a different kind of reality. The Apostle Paul writes, we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. We learn to trust the realities that go beyond our sense of sight or sound, even beyond our own experience or knowing. So living the life of faith means being open. Open to these unexpected encounters with God. It means living in anticipation and expectation of when and where Jesus will show up among us. The real message of the transfiguration is not simply that Jesus revealed himself to three of his disciples on a mountain long ago and far away. It is that he continues to reveal himself to the likes of you and me today. This isn't just their story, this is our story. And the blessing and the promise of God is that as we come to worship, as we study his word, as we have fellowship with one another, as we find ourselves in prayer life or in service to those among us, we will encounter the living Christ in ways beyond our expectation or imagining. And that is the part of the life of faith that I find truly extraordinary. It's a moment of grace. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Amen. And let us pray. Lord, we would pray that you would indeed open our ears to hear your calling, open our eyes to see your guiding hand, open our hearts to welcome you anew, the living presence of Jesus Christ. Open our mouths to gladly tell this good news of your presence among us, now and always. For it's in Jesus' name we have the privilege of praying. Lord, hear our prayer. You're listening to Sunday with Tab, a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the Tab podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabpres.org, tap on the graphic marked sermons, and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indy. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B. PRES.org. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab. Why is there church? Pastor John Gable of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. The word church conjures up many images, but at Tab, we believe the church is called to demonstrate the values and practices of the kingdom of God. At TAB, we envision a place where people grow strong in faith as they are equipped to serve others, where deep and loving relationships are created, where people work together to strengthen the community, advocate for justice, and promote God's peace and shalom. Oh, we're not there yet. 
But that is what we desire because we believe that's what God desires for the church, our community, and the world. Come see for yourself or find out more at tabprez.org. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis, invites you to worship Sunday morning at 8 or 10 a.m. If you can't make it in person, tune in to Sunday with Tab, Sunday mornings at 6.30 on WIBC, or find us online at tabprez.org.